Well, today we're going to be continuing our series on religion versus faith. And what we're going to talk about this morning is really easy. In fact, it's so simple that I thought this can't really be the answer to the question that I've been raising for the last couple of weeks. I mean, I know it's in the Bible. It should be pretty self-explanatory, but I thought this, this is too easy, too simple. And then when I really got into it this morning at first service, I realized that I myself was walking into a trap because the message on its face is really easy. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, oh man, it becomes really difficult to live, really difficult to do. And so thank goodness you're not in first service this morning because first service, I butchered it. It wasn't terrible, but sometimes I do that in first service, I butcher it. And then in second service, it rocks. And so that's what we're going to try to do here this morning. All right. Religion versus faith. Uh, Here's their series. We're in the third part of our series on religion versus faith. Uh, Our four week series then is the contrast of two lives, the contrast of two lives, living a life of religion versus living a life of faith. How are they different? How are they similar? More specifically, we've been looking at the contrast. How are they different? Do we want to live a life of religion or do we want to live a life of faith? And what is that meaning for us? What does that mean for us? Well, here we're going to be more focused on us living a life of faith. That's our challenge and that's God's desire for us to live a life of faith. Well, here's our strategy. Strategy is this, is that the first week we looked at the danger of religion, the danger of religion. And some of you, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you may say, wow, this is I'm in church and we're talking about religion being bad. Well, yes, religion can be bad in certain circumstances. And so the first week we talked about the danger of religion and we looked at several of the woe statements of Jesus, where Jesus really speaks really strongly against some of the people that lived during his time who happened to be religious leaders in his own religion. So if you've never read the Bible, you probably have a lot of preconceived notions about who Jesus was and what he said and what he did. But actually, he got quite mad at the religious leaders of his own faith because many of them were not doing what God wanted them to do. They were trying to trap people into religion rather than freeing them by having allowing them to have faith in God and have a relationship with God. So we talked about the danger of religion. What's some of the dangers of religion the first week? Anybody want to shout it out? What are some of the dangers of religion that we talked about the first week? Anybody remember? I know that was two weeks ago. Wow. What are some of the dangers of religion? I just mentioned the obvious one. What is it? What's the danger of religion? Come on, I tell first service you guys are sharper. Come on. What is the danger of religion? controlling aspects of your life it can definitely be that it can be it can and we talked about the first week we also talked about the second week because in the first week we talked about the fact that actually that not only can control it so much that it can actually cause you to miss heaven it could cause you to miss relationship with god that's a good point another danger of religion well really that's the biggest that's i mean that's it i mean you, you nailed it i mean the biggest danger of religion is just the fact that it may keep us away from god and it may end up hurting our lives and hurting our world more than helping it okay so last week we talked about several more things several more statements from jesus to the religious leaders and we used that to identify some aspects of bad religion now this is last week there's only seven days Days ago, come on. What are some aspects, some identifying marks of bad religion? What do you think? 
Self-serving, man-made rules. Okay, good. Those are really two really good ones, right? So self-serving is a big part because a lot of times bad religion just serves to make to serve itself, to make itself more powerful, to make itself more uh, wealthy, more famous. That's right. And to obey rules. Somebody back there doesn't like rules. You're like me. And so the thing is, I'm just picking. So the thing is, is that a lot of times they make up the, uh, rules. Bad religion can make up rules. And when we look and we try to identify bad religion in our lives, bad religion in other people's lives, it's often on rules for rules sake you know rules that try to keep us away from god whether intentionally or not but they do it ends up keeping us away from god rather than just us being able to have faith in god we also talked about the fact that a lot of times bad religion tries to keep itself comfortable you know bad religion likes the status quo it likes the fact that things are this is the way it's supposed to be because i'm comfortable and you're comfortable we're going to talk a little bit more about that this week but today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about moving from religion specifically bad religion to faith now you might think well the answer is just to have faith well yes but there's there's a better antidote for bad religion than faith and it's so simple that half of you are going to be tempted to miss it because when i tell you what it is you're going to be like oh yeah okay i i got that one I'm good. And you're going to want to leave here and be like, I'm good. But you're going to miss the whole point of what we're talking about. So don't, as soon as I mention the antidote to bad religion, don't be like, got it, check. I checked that off the list. Because if you try to check this off your list, you're probably in bad religion. Or at least a part of you still embraces bad religion. All right. So we're all on the same page. Religion and faith in our society, the way we use it in our words today, are apples and oranges. They have some overlap, but there are some differences, some striking differences as well. Religion we define here for this service as a system uh, for people to interact with a god or gods or divine creature or flying spaghetti monster or whatever type of divinity that you want to imagine someone else following. Okay, that's what religion is. So religion can be Shintoism, Buddhism. It could be a philosophical religion like atheism. It also may be Christianity. There are parts of Christianity that has bad religious aspects. And we need to be able to identify those, especially in our lives. Faith, on the other hand, though, is what? Is an internal decision or conviction. Faith can be good when it's the right kind of faith in the right God. But if we just have faith in other things or we have faith in in something that's not worth having faith in, then it causes problems. I mean, I may say I have faith that the Giants are going to win the World Series, but... Are there less Giants fans here than first service? I I find that hard to believe. Are you guys don't like baseball? Or at least know what's going on. I think the Giants in the World Series, right? I could maybe from Burley. Okay, so that's good. So, but if I say I have faith in the Giants, I may not have that faith grounded in anything. I mean, I could go and compare the stats and information of the two teams, but my faith in the Giants win the World Series is not grounded in anything that would be uh, provable, I guess you would say. Whereas our faith in Jesus is grounded not only in our personal experience, but is grounded in what? In the historical evidences of a man who really walked around Galilee, who really did claim to be the Son of God, and who really did die on the cross And on the third day rose again. And so when we talk about these things, we talk about religion, we talk about faith. Where's the contrast? Where's the balance? We can't have, as I've been mentioned last couple weeks, we can't say religion is all bad and faith is all good. It's not quite that simple. We need an aspect of what the world will call religion in our lives. But we need to make sure that what from last week? That our faith precedes our religion. Because when our religion gets in front of our faith, then we become a what? No, I wouldn't say more Christian. 
if that's what you said, we become, what did Jesus call the Pharisees? It starts with an H. Hypocrite. If our religion gets in front of our faith, I would argue we become a hypocrite because then people see our religion coming and they don't see our faith. They don't see our love. They don't see our spirit. They see that outward sign of religion. Okay, good. Let's keep on going. Uh, we'll see what the Bible has to say. I decided that I was going to stay really close to the uh, Matthew 23. I was really struggling with this series. I, th- it was gonna, I thought it was going to be easier than it was. And so I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 22 this week. The reason why is not only I, f- I feel like the answer is there to some of the questions we've been raising, but also because I didn't want to skip around a whole lot in the Bible and have a sort of a mosaic approach to this. So Matthew chapter 23, um, if you want to open up your Bibles, it'll be, uh, let's see, it's going to be in chapter 22, verse 34, 34, there we go, I knew it was in 30s. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. If you remember, the last two weeks was in Matthew chapter 23. So we're actually going to look back at some of the things that occurred right in front of the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees where he says, woe to you and, you know, a pox on your house and all that kind of good stuff. All right. So Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. If you want to open up in your Bibles, your iPhones, whatever, it's going to be up on the Jumbotron. Let's see if we can do it here. Matthew chapter 22. Now. Starting verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. Now the him is Jesus. And so what happens is we've been talking a lot about the Pharisees, but there were other religious people, religious leaders. Uh, the Jew, ancient Jewish system had several and one of them were the Sadducees. And the ironic thing about the Sadducees is that they also would debate with Jesus. But the Bible spends most of the time talking about the Pharisees. There's probably two reasons why Jesus had a lot more conflict with the Pharisees than the Sadducees. The number one reason is that the Pharisees were what? Totally invested in their religion. And I mean bad religion. They were totally invested in the power granting ability of the law to basically organize society the way that they wanted to. That Jesus hated. Okay, he hated it because they were keeping people away from the kingdom by emphasizing the rules and the laws instead of emphasizing the things that they should have been. But the other reason is why? Why does Jesus spend? This is a difficult question. Why does Jesus fight more with the Pharisees probably than the Sadducees or other groups that, by the way, the Bible doesn't even mention? Why do you think that is? Well, I'll tell you, or I will speculate. I'll give you the estimated guess. The estimated guess is because the Pharisees were the religious leaders of time, even though they had so many problems and they were really the source of bad religion. They also probably cared more about the Bible and about God than many of the other religious leaders of their day. In other words, the Sadducees and some of the other groups were more, eh, whatever. And so they didn't get as invested in fighting Jesus about what was right and what was wrong. So it's ironic because, and we'll see this in bad religion, because especially within the Christian religion, because it's ironic because the people who most cared about God by what they said and who really did have a heart for their religion were the ones who most corrupted it. Which is why sometimes we see in church, we see people who seem to really care about the church, but sometimes they're the biggest part of the problem when it comes to bad religion. Their heart is in the wrong place. We're going to talk about hearts today. So here's the thing. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Now, I need to mention this. And I wasn't sure if I mentioned this in first service, but I decided it's fine. Nobody got mad with me. Here's the ironic thing. 
The religious law is a lot like our government, regardless of who's in control, Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. It's the matter about parties here. Our government tends to do what? Pass bills that are this many pages long that no one's read and has all kinds of jargon that no one can understand. They don't just pass simple laws that says, don't, you know, you shouldn't, don't, uh, I don't know, pick something easy. Don't run a red light. Instead, they have 50 pages to explain what a red light is, what it constitutes, what's the wiggle room, etc., 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 etc. What had happened was, is the Pharisees, they had received the law from Moses, right? And this was recorded in the Old Testament. So the Pharisees, instead of accepting this law, they felt like they needed to make sure, they needed to flesh it out. And they came up with these 1,400 page, 5,000 page, whatever documents that explained the law in every detail. What it meant when you did A really was B and C and D and everything else like that. So what happens is, is that this expert in religious law is not just an expert in what the Bible says, but he's an expert in the entire code of religion that they had imposed on people. Now, there's something implicit here I don't want you to miss. Because an expert in the religious law would be what? He would be someone who would be what? Would he be a poor person or would he be a rich person? He would be a rich person. He would have lots of education. He would be considered a, a leader in society. He would be considered an elite person in society. Jesus, on the other hand, was someone who was what? How many degrees did Jesus have? Well, probably none, right? So Jesus was considered what? The Pharisees tell him, they say, what good can come from Nazareth? What are they saying by that? They're saying, you're a dumb country hick. And so we're teachers of expert law and religion. So what happened was, is, can I say it this way? Mr. Smarty Pants. Mr. Smarty Pants tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now we're going to talk about the irony of this on several levels in just a second. So Mr. Smarty Pants tried to do this and Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Is that really the answer? Yes, it is. We're going to talk about it, but don't miss it. Number one is this. Follow along your hand up if you want. The source of bad religion is the heart. Where does bad religion come from? If, for us to be able to find the solution to bad religion, we must figure out where bad religion comes from so we can put the antidote in the right place. Where does bad religion come from? Bad religion comes from the heart of people. Now, some of you, someone may say, well, what about Satan? Doesn't he create bad religion or false religion? No, I'm going to argue no. Uh, he certainly is involved in it, but that's not really the heart of where, where bad religion comes from. The source of bad religion is the heart. The Bible says here that basically they got together. Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees' reply. They met together to question him. What they do? They get together to try to figure out how they can trap him, right? The, the religious leaders tried to trap Jesus with the rules. That's what's, that's what's going on here. They said, okay, you know, let's get together and we'll figure out how to trap him. What kind of answer were they looking for? What kind of answer did Jesus give? Did they expect the answer that Jesus gave? No, they didn't expect the answer Jesus gave. Why? Because Jesus didn't give them an answer from their law. Now, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that Deuteronomy, right after the law, or the second telling the law, really, says that the whole, basically says the whole purpose of everything is to do what? Love God and love other people. 
However, in formulating their code, they happen to skip over some of the more important parts of the Bible. It's funny if you go through history, you'll see that bad religion loves to cherry pick parts of the Bible that it likes and not deal with parts it doesn't like. Even our own religious groups, our own denominations, and I'm speaking of us here. We also do that, too, and it's a danger for us to do that. It, I mean, it, it ruins everything. And the more we cherry pick, the more we miss what God intends for us. So the religious leaders, they try to chap Jesus by they ask him something from their legal code. And Jesus basically doesn't answer that way. Now, this raises a question. It's going to raise a question because some of us may ask this. Doesn't this mean that we should just get rid of all religion, all rules about God and right and wrong? I mean, wouldn't the way to avoid bad religion the most... And the best way would just be to get rid of all of it. You know, just you and the Bible and God sitting on the mountaintop. Wouldn't that be the best way? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm not going to answer it for you. I'm going to allow Jesus to answer that question. Because before he, he really kind of gets on the case of the Pharisees, he actually tells his disciples what to do. This is, in, uh, next, this is in the very next chapter. He says this, and before the woes, so between the two conversations. He says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. What is he saying? He's saying that the law is not bad. That the rules that God has given you is not bad. That's not the problem. He's saying that the people who are telling you what to do with the rules, they're the ones who are wrong. Mostly, number one reason is, number two reason, of course, we know is because they're misunderstanding it. Why are they misunderstanding it? Because number one reason is because their hearts are not with God. They're not doing what they say. They're hypocrites. They're saying to do this for God, and then they're not doing it themselves. And they don't really have any intention of you doing it. They're just trying to keep their religious power. And so Jesus told them that, listen, do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. How many of you know people would do that? How many, I mean, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, rhetorical, because I think most of us raise our hand. How many of you know someone who experienced some bad religion, and so they say, not going to do any more religion. No more faith, no more religion, no more nothing. Not going to do it because I had one bad experience. We all know people who have done that. And Jesus tells the disciples, don't be so rash to do that. Because the Pharisees are wrong, but the word of God is what's right. The law is still what's good. And we should still obey God's rules in our lives. What we want to do, though, is to separate the guidelines that God gives us from the way they can be misunderstood, misinterpreted and used against people. Because any good thing can be used against people, right? Good things can be can result in bad things. I'll give you an example in just a second. So the trap was set by the foolish hearts of people. The trap was set by the foolish hearts of people. Why do people embrace bad religion? Why do people promote bad religion? Well, let's talk about some of the things that bad religion does for people. Let's look at Islam, okay? I think that's fair. It's in the news all the time. What does Islam give to men? Anybody know? Okay, the advantage of having many wives. All right, Gabe, thank you for that answer. Gabe's studied this issue carefully. Um <laughs> Just picking. Um, now, I'm going to use, I'm going to say what Gabe said and let's distill it down because that's, that's a symptom, not the problem. 
Islam for men is what? It's about power. Power. That's what it is. I tell my wife what to do. And if, by the way, if you've been in, you live in a country where there's a lot of Muslims, you, you know it's true. It's about power. I get to be the king. I get to be special. I can have as many wives I want. I can tell my wife what to do. I can beat her if she doesn't listen to me. Right? So religion, bad religion, a lot of times is about power. The Pharisees liked it that they could put people down. And they could tell people, this is the way I want you to live your lives. What else? Money. Fame. Right? If you get to be a religious leader, you get to be famous. People get to bow down in front of you or salute you or whatever. You get to be wealthy. How many of you know poor religious leaders, uh, practitioners of bad religion? Not many. In fact, I would say none. How many of you know of, and maybe you don't read the news enough, but, and by the way, reading the news is not all, all that. But if you read the news you, or you do a little study and you'll find out that there's lots of religious leaders in our world who are super, super wealthy. And I'm not talking about, you know, can treat their family to Outback, you know, once a week. I'm talking about, you know, like the guy that Steve Martin based his character on the show in the movie clip last week, you know, a Jaguar car for every day of the week and a $50 million, you know, 200-acre palace in southwest Texas or wherever. And, and, and so when we talk about religion, we talk about bad religion, where does greed, where does the desire for power, where does the desire... For personal satisfaction come from? Comes from the heart of broken people. Hey, alright. Let me ask you something. I have kids. Two kids, right? And they're the same in one regard. Because if I give them a piece of candy, they're going to say, that candy was good, sweet, good. And then if I offer them another piece of candy, they're going to say, no thanks, Mom and Dad, I don't need any more candy. I'm good. That's probably too much candy to be too unhealthy for me, right? Or what are they going to do? They're going to keep eating candy as much as they can. I would argue they'll eat candy until if I live enough candy out there for most kids, they will eat it until they get sick. Now, I've never tried this, but I hear that like we have a goldfish now, Buccaneer, right? Uh, Wyatt named the goldfish. And uh, so Buccaneer... So I've heard that you can oh, you can feed Buccaneer to the point where he eats so much that he'll explode. I don't know if that's true. We're not going to try it. We're going to try really hard not to try it. But, you know, sometimes a lot of good stuff can be bad. And that's what happened with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were excited originally somewhere back early on. They were excited about God. But the more candy that they got, instead of eating a little bit, and then allowing other people to be involved. They just kept taking it and taking it and taking it till it became about them. And bad religion does that. Bad religion makes it about themselves. The trap was set by the foolish heart of people. You know what's interesting, too, about this? Is that Jesus, not only did he not answer them the way they expected. I mean, how foolish is it for people to even do this? I mean, let me just be honest here a second. I'm a pastor. That means, uh, well, it doesn't always mean, but in most cases, it means you went to seminary, right? Which is where you do an advanced degree and you're supposed to learn about religion and the Bible and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is when I was in seminary, there'd be lots of people who were just Pharisees. And I'm talking about a seminary that's supposed to be a good seminary. It's supposed to be, you know, people loving each other. It's supposed to be people who are going to be pastors, uh, healthy 
good Orthodox Christian doctrine, you know, all that stuff. And I'm telling you what, a lot of people I went to were Pharisees. You know why? Because they had, would have pet peeves and they would have certain parts of the Bible that they thought were so much better than other ones. And they would go around and ask questions. Hey, you guys experience this all the time. You know when people ask you a question, they'll ask you a question and in the question, the answer is already there. You know what I mean? Do you like that or do you not like that? I hate it myself. You know, when they ask you the question to try to trick you. Hey, remember when you're in Sunday school? Some of you, maybe not. Remember in Sunday school when they used to ask you, can God create a boulder that it is too heavy for him to lift? And you're like, well, God can create anything because he's all powerful, but he can also lift anything because he's also all powerful. So I don't know. Can he create a boulder that he can't lift? But does those questions really do any good? Because they're just designed to trick people. And by the way, it's unanswerable. The question that the religious leader asked Jesus was also unanswerable from their perspective. It was unanswerable because they had 5,000 pages worth of different laws that were competing and, and they loved to debate and argue and get on each other's case about. They loved to ask each other questions that they couldn't answer. Now, I don't know about you, but tricking people with questions on theology or law or doctrine or whatever may make people feel good, but it doesn't cause people to come to know Jesus. doesn't, as James says, do real religion, which is caring for the widows and the orphans and the, and the homeless. It doesn't really do any good. And Jesus blew him away because he said, listen, I'm not going to play your religious game, basically. He didn't try to argue something from the law that they expected. I mean, I guess he could have said, forget you, I'm not going to answer the question. But instead, he went right to the heart of the matter, not only explaining what the greatest commandment was, but what actually makes the whole law and ritual and religion from God be meaningful, which is what? Loving God and loving other people. Now, here's the thing. Quickly, is this. The antidote to bad religion is love. Now, everybody just stop right there. Don't think another thought. If it's running through your mind, stop it, smack it down. Do not think another thought. Everybody clear? No more thoughts, okay? The antidote to bad religion is love. We're not talking about Beatles, John Lennon, all the world needs is love, love here, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about self-serving, self-interested, self-gratifying love. That's not what we're talking about here. What does Jesus say? He says that if... We want to really understand what God wants us to do in our lives. He says what? He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first greatest commandment. Now, number one, who do we love? Do we love flying spaghetti monster? Do we love generic God? Do we love? No, we love a specific individual person, God, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the one who said, Call me, I am, or Yahweh, sometimes you see it in your Bible, or Jehovah works. That is the God that you are to worship. I am. And you're to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, everything. All of you totally committed to love. But as we've talked about here, how do we love a person? Do we love a person the way that we want to be loved? If I want to love my wife, am I going to go buy a new PlayStation 3 and give it to her as a present and then go play on it all the time? No, that's not showing love to her. That's showing love to me. 
You know, it's like the guys who go and buy their wives like a vacuum cleaner for Christmas, right? I wouldn't do that unless your wife specifically asked for it. Bad idea. We know that. It's a simple one. If we're going to love God the way he wants, how are we going to do it? Are we going to do things that please ourselves and makes ourselves comfortable, wealthy, successful? No, we are going to ask God, what is it that you want me to do so that I may be able to love you? That's what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to ask. So the antidote to bad religion is love, but not love as anyone just generically wants to define it. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about here, that we would love God. And secondly, we would love other people. Why is that? Well, because anyone who really loves God must love people. So if you see someone who's like, I love God, I'm here at church, I love God, right? And they're treating the people down at Safeway when they're in checkout line terrible. That's a bad sign that they don't really love God or they don't understand who God is. All right, quickly. Quickly, Jesus says that loving God is greater than any system. He's saying, listen, when we love God is greater than any religious system. It, it trumps, it, 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 it actually fulfills, that's a better word than trumps, but it fulfills the whole law that God says. So even a good religion, like God's guidelines for our lives in the Bible, even that good religion, that the basis of it, the heart of it is the heart of love, is that when we love other people the way God wants us to love other people, when we love God the way that he wants to be loved, then that's greater than anything that we can do. Does love lead to faith? Yes. And I'll explain why in just a second. Some of you thought maybe I'd answer this with faith, but I'm not going to answer faith when I answer with love. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Hard hearts prefer religion, but loving hearts find faith. Why do hard hearts prefer religion? Why does a person who is very religious oftentimes is very unloving? Why is that? So, okay, good, right, because it comes back to you. Because bad religion, again, is about power and comfort and money, and those are things that please ourselves. Like I just gave the illustration of the candy, right? I mean, we all know how to please ourselves. Kids even know how to please themselves. They just keep eating more candy. And if it makes them sick, it makes other people sick. It doesn't matter because it's what they wanted. And when we talk about this issue and we look at our, the lives, then when we look at bad religion, bad religion, it comes from the hardened hearts of people rather than, rather than faith and rather than love. Hard hearts prefer religion, but loving hearts prefer faith. Let me come back because I got my slides out of order this morning. Let me just say this. This doesn't mean everyone trapped in religion is hard hearted, but here's what it does mean. Let me give you an example. Here's what it does mean. Let's say that I'm struggling with not loving someone and I'm involved in a church or a religion. And that church or that religion makes me feel more powerful, more comfortable more successful. What will it do to my heart? It will close my heart. Why will it close my heart? Because it will make me desire to be more successful, more powerful. And the more I walk along this line of bad religion, the more powerful and the more successful I may become, the more rules I may be able to follow, the more rules I may be able to get other people to follow, but my heart will do what? It will continue to atrophy and become harder and harder and harder and harder. Why? Because it becomes more about rules, more about telling people what to do, more about power. But at the same time, the more we love other people, what does that make us do? Let me ask you a question. 
Let me ask you a question. Everyone in here has some degree of religiousness to you because you're in church. So you have some, every person outside church does too, but that's a harder argument to make for them. But every single person has some degree of religiousness with them here today. Okay? Now, this is a thought experiment. You also have probably at some point had some type of discussion with someone else who either wasn't religious or who was doing things of a moral nature that you objected to or didn't like. And they say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to act this way. And our response oftentimes is a religious response, which is what? God doesn't want you to do that. Don't do that. The Bible says don't do that. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that the best way of handling that situation? What happens when you have a relative who says, I don't care what you say. I'm going to let my kids. Uh, okay. Prop 19. I'm going to let my kids smoke pot because it's legal in California now. Right? Not, not yet. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm going to let my kids do it. And you say, you can't. You shouldn't do that because it's wrong. What do they say? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's wrong. I forgot. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm going to go back to my kids and not let them do it anymore. What, what, what happens when you confront people? Sets up a power struggle, doesn't it? Where we get into the you're right, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong. Now, let me ask you a question. When you love someone, what happens to the power struggle? It changes the dynamic, doesn't it? Because it's hard, it's easy to argue with somebody who, who gives you a rule. But it's very difficult to love someone who, I mean, to be mad and power struggle with someone who's just simply trying to love you. Now, I'm not saying as Christians we shouldn't challenge people. I'm not saying that we don't step up to the plate and say, listen, this is not right. But it's the way that we do it. And the way that we do it will depend upon how our heart is. Because if our heart is a little bit hard, it comes across as what? I'm telling you what to do. But when our heart is soft and gentle towards other people, and we reach out to them in love because we care about them, they still may reject it. But it will be very hard for them to get into a power struggle with us about right and wrong and all these other issues. So let me just ask you this question again. Hard hearts prefer religion, but loving hearts find faith. How does loving hearts find faith? Well, it's like this. If I'm a religious leader and I don't love you, the only thing I have to do to control you or get you to do what God wants you to do or to obey the moral law is to do what? Get after you to do it. Guilt you, manipulate you, fight with you, strive with you, whatever it may be. But if I love you, what will happen? If I love you, then I will trust you to do what? To do what God wants you to do. If I love you, I will begin to allow you to do what you need to do in your life. That's not to say there's not a time for me to challenge you or for a, a, another, if you have other religious leaders in your life, to, and, you know, maybe another pastor is a friend of yours or Rex or whoever it may be to challenge you. That's a different issue. But when we talk about this is that when we love people, we do what? We trust them. And when we trust them, trust is all is the cousin of what? Faith, Right. So when we love other people, it proves to be the antidote for bad religion because it frees them to be able to trust God and to be able to go to him and let him work on their issues. 
Listen, I can, I can have the person that wants to give their kids pot for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I can go at them and say, God, blah, 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 and it won't do any good because they're just going to entrench, and then it's going to become a power struggle between me and them. But if I can demonstrate love to them and get my love and my faith in front of my religion, if I can demonstrate love to them, do we trust God enough? Here's the question, religious people. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but do we trust God enough that the Spirit can go into their lives and change their hearts? Because a lot of us don't trust God enough to do that, which is why we get into power struggles with our friends and family members rather than believing and trusting in God because we love Him and we know that He loves them to do what He needs to do. But see, that's why I mentioned this morning, it's like so simple, but deceptively simple because it's so difficult. Because it's easier for you to just tell someone, this is wrong, don't do it. It's harder to love them through their stupid, wrong mistakes that they make. But that love leads to trust, and that trust leads to faith. And we have faith that God will heal that person. We have faith that God will allow us the words to say to that person. And we have faith that God will remake them, not in our image, but in His image. That He will be the great physician in their lives. But that, my friends, requires a significant amount of faith that religion cannot understand. And so here's the question for you today. As you go through your life, are you controlled more by religion, by rules and regulations, by rights and wrongs, and your feeling about it? Or are you more concerned about loving God, loving other people, being honored you know, honoring God's word, not saying dishonoring God's word, honoring God's word, doing what he asks us to do, but in faith and trust that God will work it out in other people's lives. And that when we love them and show them that love, that he will make a difference. And that no matter who our relative is or who we are or who, who, whoever we know that's stuck in bad religion, that God is the only solution to that. And us putting other religion on them is not an antidote. The only antidote is to be able to us ourselves love God, love other people, and keep our faith in the forefront of our lives for those people to hold on to. Because faith is going to be the only thing that will change them. Let's pray.